You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Wonderful. Well, good morning, church. Okay, I'll try it one more time. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see all of your wonderful faces. Um, As has been said, my name is Gabriel. If you don't know, I've been part of the staff team for nearly four years now. And um, if you can't tell from my accent, I am not from Coventry. I am actually from down south. I was raised in Essex and in London, but I came here for uni in 2014 and I've been here since. So I feel like an adopted son of Coventry. So even if you don't want me, you've got me. So this is like my home now. I love it here. So that's a tiny bit about me because I think sometimes it's nice to know who it is that's speaking to you. So, as has been mentioned early in the service, today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you guys. I know for some of us, we might, in the last few weeks, have been preparing for this Easter season. Maybe we've been doing things a little bit differently, devotionally, or, or just spending some more time with the Lord. For some of us, we might have completely forgot what time of year it is. Maybe we forgot that it is Palm Sunday or that Easter is fast approaching. Now, maybe for some of us in the room, maybe this is very new to you. Maybe you don't really know much about the Easter season. Wherever you are in this area, I would love to share a little bit about Palm Sunday, but also the significance of it and the build-up in and around it so that we can all be on the same page because I think it will help us with where we're going today. Is that okay? Wonderful. I'd love you to be as interactive as possible today. It will really help me to feel like I'm not here talking to myself. Wonderful. So, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, as I believe Pastor Martin mentioned earlier on, is the start or is the first day of what is known as Holy Week or the Passion Week. And Palm Sunday was the day that we remember that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he came in as was prophesied in Zechariah. And it was prophesied about 500 years prior to him coming. And the the Jewish people at the time, when they saw Jesus coming in, this would have been a time of celebration for them because they understood that for them, this was the prophecy being fulfilled of the one who was going to come and save them. So they welcomed him triumphantly. As I believe Pastor Martin alluded to earlier on, just a week later, they actually will be the same people screaming, crucify him. But at the time he came in, for them, they saw him as the fulfillment of the prophecy. This was a big deal for them. They celebrated him. They welcomed him. And that's the start of what is known as Holy Week. And then Monday to Wednesday is a little bit more quiet in comparison to the rest of the week, but there are some well-known events or interactions, if you can call them that, um, that did take place in this time. Like, this is the time where Judas started to plot his schemes against Jesus, where he started to plan how he was going to betray Jesus. This is the time where we believe um, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, would have anointed Jesus' feet with oil or with the perfume. So these are some of the things that were taking place from Monday to Wednesday. Then we get to Thursday, which is where we're going to be focusing quite a bit of our time this morning and Thursday is the day where Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and also the day when he was arrested which was from the garden itself but just earlier in the evening this is the time where he and the disciples had the Lord's Supper um, which I'm sure most of us would have heard of before and this is what I'm going to be focusing my time on in around the Lord's Supper and some of the things that took place in that time I'm not going to speak too much on the Good Friday, which is what's often known as Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday, because in the next 
uh, week or so, we're going to be going into that in our Good Friday and Easter Sunday services. So we'll make sure you're there for that and we'll be focusing on those. So I'm going to focus specifically on Thursday, but I thought it would be good to just give something of a timeline to just give us a bit of context for those of us that might not be aware. And if you knew already, wonderful, just a refresher. Um, so, as I mentioned, to those of you that know this story like the back of your hands, or those of you that this is brand new to, can I encourage you to lean in wherever you are, whether you feel seasoned in this or whether you feel, whether you feel like a novice in this, can I encourage you to lean in? Because I believe that the Lord wants to encourage us today and give something that's actually practical for us to take away. But I want to encourage you to have open hearts to what the Lord might want to say and not feel like, oh, I know this story, sir. So is that okay? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. So why don't we turn to the scripture? But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to ask one of our young people on the leadership program, Samuel. Where's Samuel? Wonderful. Can we, can we uh, give a round of applause for Samuel who's going to come forward? He's going to read this passage for us. Let's keep the applause going whilst he comes up. And Samuel's going to read our focus passage. If you've got a Bible with you, you can go to John chapter 13. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 17. Oh, you tall. <laughs> verses 1 to 17. And then in verse 13, when we get to verse 13, what I'd love you to do is actually join Samuel as he reads it for us. Samuel, feel free to read from there or the screen, whatever's easiest. Oh, it's more, isn't it? Okay. Uh, so Samuel's going to read from verse 1 to 12. And then when it gets to 13, I'd love you to jump in and we're going to read it all together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the, the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a, into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not now realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Amen. Can we show some love for Samuel? Beautifully read. Thank you, bro. Wonderful. So, uh, when, I, when I read this passage, my response was, oh, I just love the word of God. This is a beautiful passage. And um, 
There's so many lessons and applications or potential applications and learnings from this passage. I'm not going to ex- I'm not going to uh, attempt to try and draw each and every one of those out. What I want to do is focus on one particular theme or particular area that I believe the Lord wants to encourage us and challenge you and I in today. Um, and I want to focus on the reality that this is actually one of the most beautiful displays of leadership we see Jesus carry out in the New Testament. And that's not necessarily the word that we would associate when we read this on face value. But it's clear that Jesus is teaching us something about leadership here in how he deals with the disciples. I want to focus on how Jesus completely changed what it looked like to be a leader to his disciples. How he changed their perceptions on what a Lord or a master or a king looks like in the eyes of God. And so for those of you that would like a title, that find titles helpful with messages, the title of my message today is Jesus, the Servant King. Jesus, the Servant King. Jesus clearly was, and Peter recognized this, their Lord. You see in verse 9, he, he refers to him as Lord. He was their leader. But here we see something completely different about Jesus and the way he carries himself. It was literally completely, completely countercultural. We see, if we walk through some of this passage together, we see in verse 4 that whilst the evening meal was in progress, he got up from the table, took off his outer garments and wrapped a towel around his waist. He then poured some water in a basin and began to wash and dry his disciples' feet with a towel he'd wrapped around him. And in verse 6, we see it comes to Peter's turn. And just before I mention on Peter, one thing I find interesting about Peter is that I feel like he gets a lot of stick. But I think Peter really just was the one that had the chest to say what the other guys were thinking a lot of the time. And I see a lot of Peter's behavior in myself a lot. I don't know about all the cutting off of the ears business, but generally, I see a lot of Peter's behavior replicate mine. And I think he just was the only one with some of the chest to say what they were really thinking. And uh, it came around to him. So imagine you are Peter, Jesus is here washing feet, all that good stuff. And then it's coming to Peter and he's like, no, 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 no. We ain't going to do that. We ain't going to do that. You're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus tells him, look, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. I'm going to come back to that soon, but just take a note of that. When he heard him say this, Jesus, or Peter, agreed, and he let Jesus wash his feet. And then when Jesus had finished washing all of their feet, which is key to note that he washed all of their feet, he returned to the table. See, we need to understand that this wouldn't have made sense in the disciples' heads. It it wouldn't have added up, and that's why Peter was resistant. It would have been quite baffling for them. Jesus was their teacher and their master. They had seen him heal the sick. Heal the blind. Raise the dead. Peter himself had come to the confession that you indeed are the son of God. So if you put yourself in that situation and you know Jesus to be the son of God and he wants to wash your feet, wouldn't you probably feel like Peter? Like washing my feet? Really? I want to let my mom wash my feet. At this age, I'm sure she washed it when I was younger. So I, I, can, I can relate a bit to what Peter is feeding her or was feeding her. And in their culture, and if we're honest, most cultures today, the king doesn't serve his subjects. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. A leader doesn't serve his followers. 
Furthermore, a master doesn't serve his servants. But Jesus did. And beyond that, you see, in the first century Jerusalem, they weren't rocking uh, Jordans or Vans or Clark shoes or even Crocs. They were rocking sandals. And these aren't really like our sandals nowadays. They were first century sandals. I'm not sure what they look like, but I can imagine the toes are very exposed. I can imagine. And when they ate in this time, they would actually recline at low tables. That's how they ate at this time. And that would mean that their feet would be exposed. I know for some of us, alarm bells are ringing off anyway. Because the idea of food and feet being in and around each other is like, whoa. I can see you tell me, I'm thinking, no way. I couldn't do it. But now imagine all of that with dirty feet. Because they're journeying all day. And it was normal custom that when guests arrived at a house to have dinner, the household servant would wash the feet of the guests. That was the custom. But not just the household servant, but the lowliest servant would be the one positioned to wash the feet of the guests that would come in the house. But this Jesus chose to take on this act reserved for the lowliest of servants. He chose to get up from the table, wrap a towel around his waist, and wash and then dry the feet of the disciples. And I believe part of what Jesus was trying to show his disciples and us today is that through this act of service, or should I, should I re-position um, that? I believe Jesus was trying to show the disciples and us today what he actually came to do, what he came to fulfill here in his mission on earth. And very simply, that was to serve. Some of us would be familiar with the famous words in Matthew 20, verse 28. that says, Jesus did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I believe he was showing something small, something of a picture, something of a practical example that could be replicated, that could be used as influence of what he was going to go on to do on the cross, his ultimate act of service. And I think a key thing for us to note is that when Jesus was serving the disciples, he never diminished or denied his position of Lord or leader over them. He, in fact, actually confirmed it. We see in verse 14, he, he confirms it in this verse, and he actually dismantles a false binary between leadership and serving. He makes it clear that it's not one without the other. But he actually makes it apparent that one who is a leader is actually a servant. They're the chief servant. And he went to great lengths to show them this here, but even more so as he went to the cross. And he was showing that in actual fact, in the kingdom of God, these two things, serving and leadership, go hand in hand. In his humility expressed through this act of service, he was actually foreshadowing his ultimate and incomparable sacrifice on the cross. He was showing us something small of what he was going to go on to do just the next day. I find, just to pause there for a moment, I find that so beautiful that Jesus, time and time again, tries to make his message so clear to us. I think the cross would have been enough, I think. But he wanted to show us in another way. This is what it looks like practically. This is how you get down and dirty and how you serve one another. You do the job that people would say is for the lowliest of servants. You take that on as I have taken it on. 
And a very key thing for us to know is that Jesus was fully aware of what the disciples had done and what they were going to do. Judas's behavior wasn't a surprise to him. He wasn't there thinking, where have you been? He knew what was going on. He was aware that he was going behind his back and was plotting to try and lead him into the hands of those that wanted to kill him. In the midst of Peter's refusal and his eventual profession that he would never leave Jesus, he knew he was going to deny him. He was fully aware. It wasn't a surprise to him. And he also knew the disciples were going to desert him. He said to them that when they strike me, the sheep will be scattered. And what he was saying is that, hopefully trying to make it quite clear to them that I'm aware, although they probably didn't understand at the time, that when they come for me, you guys are going to desert me. You're going to leave me. But yet still, he served them. Yet still, he loved them in this way. And as verse 1 says, for those of us that are still there in John 13, it says that he loved them to the end. And part of him expressing this love was him serving them to the end in spite of their betrayal. In spite of the fact that we're going to desert him and we're going to leave him behind. Say one thing to his face and otherwise be plotting against him. He continues to love them to the end. And I just feel, even as I was preparing this, that it may be important for some of us in the room that I make this point. That Jesus is aware of your rubbish. Jesus is aware of your flakiness. Jesus is aware of the times when you've let him down and the times when you're going to let him down. He's fully aware. You're not catching him off guard. Yet he still died for you. Yet he still loves you. And I just feel like some of us might need to catch that today. He simply wants us to come to him and receive his mercy afresh. Maybe you'd never actually open your heart to receive his mercy ever. He wants you to come and receive his mercy. Because as I said earlier, his grace is enough. He's already done the hard work and died on the cross for us. We just need to respond. We need to receive of that grace. He's paid the price for our mess-ups. This is Jesus, the servant king. The one that I can say, Jesus, my servant king. This is who he is. So now we know this about Jesus. Hopefully we're in agreement that he came as one who served, one who was indeed a servant king. The question now becomes, how do we respond to this? How should we respond to this? And firstly, very simply, I believe the Lord is calling us to first receive it. Can we say it together, receive it? Can we say it one more time, receive it? Receive it. Thank you, even doing the, the uh, actions with me. Thank you, brother. We need to first receive of this loving service that Jesus has poured out for us. That's where we need to start. We need to receive of it. In our focus passage, John 13, in verse 8, Peter, in initially refusing to let Jesus wash his feet, it actually illustrates what it can look like for us sometimes between ourselves and God. We can reject his desire to cleanse us. We can reject his desire to 
to wash us, to make us new. It actually takes humility to accept, to say that, Lord, I, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm dirty. I need you. I need your help. It takes humility. It takes faith to say, I know I can't get this thing called life together on my own. I know I make a mess of it. I need your help. That takes humility. I need you to come and save me. And that's, for maybe, maybe some of us in the room, that's the first step for us to take. Just receive for the first time, Lord, I need you. Come into my heart. I need you. I'm a mess with this thing called life. I had to come to that place when I was in university. Lord, I've grown up in church, but internally, I'm a hot mess. I can't figure this thing called life out, and I need your help. Come in, be my Lord, because I know you created me. I know you know the best way this thing called life needs, to, the way it needs to go. So come and show me the way. Come and save me from myself. I keep messing up, and I see in your word that that's going to lead me to a place of eternal separation without you. But I also see in your word that it says that you went to the cross and you died for my sake. And if I receive and I accept, then I'll be fully forgiven. I no longer need to strive. And I think some of us maybe need to make that step today. That, Lord, I come unto you. And then for some of us, we've already accepted Jesus to come in and make us new and change us from the inside out. But I think that we may be in a place where we need to actually come and receive afresh. We need to come to that point of acknowledgement and say, Lord, I have allowed the world to, let's say, pollute me, maybe in thought or in deed. And I need you to come and wash me afresh. I need you to come and cleanse me. And this is what the Bible is speaking about when it refers to sanctification or being sanctified. It's the process of being cleansed. It's the process of being separate from ungodly things. So to be very clear, it won't and it can't make God love us anymore to seek to live his way or seek to come before him and turn away from the wrong way. Because when we come to Jesus in true repentance and in faith, we accept his finished work. So please hear me. I'm not saying that we come to try and add to our salvation or earn his love. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is that when we come to Jesus and we come and say, I need you, we're saying, Lord, I choose you. I choose to be separate from the world. Come and wash me again. Come and cleanse me again. Come and sanctify me. Come and set me apart. You say that I'm righteous. Help me to walk righteous. Help me to be like you say I am. Because we know the word tells us, those that chose Jesus, have chosen Jesus, that we are the righteousness of God. But how many of us know that we actually have to walk that out? So we need to come to him and say, Lord, help me to walk as your righteous child. That is how we come to him and say, Lord, cleanse me. Clean me again. Because the things that I've been maybe seeing or doing or allow myself to be in and around has polluted me. So come and cleanse me again, Jesus. And I think some of us, that might be what we need to do afresh. And that's not just a today, that's, that's an everyday. That's a continual work. Lord, keep making me more like you. I've heard it said, it's a very 
I think a cool quote, it said that some of the world's spiritual filth can cling onto us and that needs to be washed away daily. I don't know about you, but I don't want the world's filth on me. So I need to come again and say, Lord, come and wash it away. Make me more like you. So this is where we first must respond, receive. Whether for the first time or afresh, come and receive. And then secondly, you may have guessed it, it's to give. Once we've received, we can then give, but we need to receive first. And then we can now give as he's called us to. He makes it quite clear. If we go back to our focus passage in John 13, it says, oh no, if we just go back one, one verse, sorry. We don't need that one just yet. In John 13, um, it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I think it's pretty simple, right? His desire is that we would do as he's done. That we would love one another humbly as he has loved us. And if you bring us that passage back, please, thank you. This is a famous passage that I'm sure many of us are familiar with from John 13, 34 to 35. And Jesus speaks about this command being one that he calls for us to do, to show that we are his disciples, to show that we belong to him. I don't believe by any means Jesus is just talking about serving here. But I believe it's an important part of it how we love each other, how we serve each other. He says, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He's calling us to walk as he walked. He's calling us to act out what he has displayed. And back to John 13, earlier in verse 16, he says, no servant is greater than his master. And what I believe he's simply telling us here is that if he as Lord and Master, if he as King of Kings, if that's who we profess him to be, if he as the true Son of God is willing to come and serve his subjects, his servants, I perceive it as what excuse do we have? He's calling us to do the same. He's calling us to serve as he served. He was showing us the example to follow his heart was and is to serve in love. And it, and it should be ours too. And maybe that needs to be our prayer today as well. Lord, make my heart more like yours. Because maybe it's not our reality and let's not pretend. That's okay. But let's bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, make me more like you. And uh, maybe you're here today and you feel your heart is very, very far from this. Maybe it doesn't feel like something that you can even imagine walking in, serving in this way, serving in love in this way. And I would say it's okay because that's what disciples also felt. That's where they were. And interestingly enough, in Luke's account of, of the Lord's Supper, we see a instance when the, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. They've been with Jesus a very long time. He's taught them a lot of lessons. 
this is his final night with them, which I don't think they fully understand yet. But what they're arguing about is, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. That's, that's the argument they're having. They didn't, they didn't get it. They were still lost. They still didn't understand that greatness in Jesus' eyes is the one who serves others. Their perspective of greatness was very flawed, was very sinful, was very fleshly. It's what we naturally incline to, that the greatest is the one who is served and who is put on a high pedal stool, but not necessarily one who serves. So I say that to say that if you feel like you can't really fathom this way of loving, of serving, of leading, I will take heart because we see on the other side of the resurrection what the disciples were like. They got it eventually. They understood by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is at work today. Amen? Amen. So he can help us and he can empower us to do as Jesus encouraged us to do. And I think on that note, one thing that's really encouraging, in the account of John, after chapter 13, it goes for a few chapters. John, uh, Jesus is giving the disciples some of his final teachings, some final important things for them to understand. And one of the things he shares with them is that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And the Holy Spirit is, in some translations, referred to as the advocate, which really just means helper. That's really what it means at the core, one who comes alongside. And I want to just encourage you that not just in this area, but it's generally in an area where you may be struggling to walk the way the Lord is calling you to walk. Lean on the help of the helper. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's here to help you. You cry out to him, he will help you. He will empower you. He will change your desires. I say it to, some, to our young people sometimes, some of them in the room will recall. I say that before I came to know the Lord, internally, I just wasn't a very nice person. I just wasn't. Because I was raised in church, I knew how to pretend. I was very skilled. <laughs> Extremely skilled. <laughs> Inside, my heart was dark. That's just the reality. And as I came to know the Lord, he exposed these things, this darkness, this lack of love, this lack of empathy. And I can go on. And I just continued to come to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, make my heart more like yours. Change me. I want to be more like this Jesus I read of. And thank God it's an ongoing process, but he's changing me. He's changing me. He's washing me. He's cleansing me as I'm coming to him and saying, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. I need you to make me more like you. So I say that to say, lean on the help of the Holy Spirit. He will help you. And in my own world, even in present day, when I want to resist serving others, when I want to resist serving my wife and loving her, and submitting to her out of reverence for Christ, that's when I have to call on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need you. Help me. Strengthen me. When I am serving our young people and the youth team, and I don't want to have a servant heart, a servant attitude, I say, Holy Spirit, help me. Because this young person has brought something to me today that is too much for me to handle. The attitude they're showing me today, <laughs> pre-knowing you, my response would be ugly. So Lord, come and help me. And I said that jokingly, but I mean it. 
live in the action, Holy Spirit, come and help me. And praise the Lord, he comes and helps me. Hopefully my wife can testify to it too. But I have to keep coming again. I do get it wrong and she can also tell you that. And that's okay. His grace is enough. But he wants to help us to keep growing, keep growing, keep becoming more like him. And um, where I might feel again, where I might slip into pride, where I might slip into a false idea of leadership, I'm reminded, I was reminded as I was preparing this of the words in Philippians 2, Philippians 2 which I believe are going to come up on the screen. And I won't read it, but you can read it. And it speaks of the humility and the service and obedience of Jesus. With all his grandeur, all his splendor, all his majesty, he came as a lowly servant. And one of the words that really stands out to me from this passage is that it says he became obedient. And part of us serving in love is actually walking in obedience, doing as he's called us to do. And that's what I want to encourage us in today, that we would see this as an act of obedience unto our Lord. That, Lord, I want to do as you've encouraged and commanded me to do. I want to walk in humility as you did and take on the very nature of a servant. That's what I want to do. And I want to be very clear, this isn't a ploy to get you to start serving in church or to serve more. I'm not trying to twist anyone's arm to join a serving team. I think it's good to serve. I think it's important. It was actually a game changer for me here. But this isn't about a serving team. This is about a lifestyle of servanthood unto Christ. The way you live, the way you carry yourself in the seen and the unseen, the way you treat your husband or your wife, the way you treat your children. In some cultures, children are treated like less than. I think what Jesus is saying here is a bit different. I think he's saying that you actually serve them in love. And likewise, some of our children in here are thinking, ha ha, yes, mom, yes, dad, you better listen. Likewise, how we respond onto our parents can be us serving them in love. There's no escape for this. It's for all of us. And we need to maybe think of your situation. Maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're not married, but in your relationships, in your families, in your communities, in different connections you have. See this as an encouragement to live a lifestyle of servanthood unto Christ. So I want to give us a chance to respond if the Lord is speaking to us today. So I'm going to invite the band to come and join me. And... Um, I'm going to encourage us to come before the Lord in humility today. And um, that's going to look like something. That's going to involve some action. Not just thought or supposed, but actually deed. Actually doing something that is my response unto the Lord. Jesus came and he, he came away from the table. He wrapped the towel around him and he served them actively. It wasn't just something hypothetical. And I want to encourage us today to make a, maybe it's a physical response that we need to make just to help us actually process this and say, Lord, I come before you in humility. I come before you as one willing to serve in love as you served in love. 
So firstly, for those who maybe have never accepted Jesus into their hearts, maybe never come on and said, Lord, come and cleanse me, come and transform me. I, I believe the Lord is actually calling you to respond today. The one who came to serve you in love by laying down his life, by taking your sin and your rubbish and dying on the cross for you so that you'd be forgiven and redeemed. He wants to cleanse you from the inside out. But he wants you to come to him today. He's not going to force his way in. And then secondly, I believe there's some of us that need to come before the Lord again today and say, Lord, I want to set myself apart for you again today. I want you to clean me again. I'm sorry for where I've been polluted by the world around me. Maybe in thought, maybe in deed. I come to you again and I want you to purify me. I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me completely. And then thirdly, and lastly, I believe some of us need to come to the Lord today and say, Jesus, I need your help to give as you gave. I need your help to love as you loved. I need your help to serve as you served. I need your help to walk in humility as you did, to obey as you obeyed. To serve and love the way you instructed me to. And I think I'd like us to close our eyes together, if that's okay. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and the band are also going to lead us in worship just after that. But what I'm going to do in just a moment, I'm going to encourage you, if you need to respond to any of these things, and if you're physically able, I'm going to encourage you to actually bow where you are onto the Lord. I'll just give you a moment to think about that. But when you're ready, I'm going to encourage you to bow where you are. If you feel like you need to, if you feel like this is for you to respond to, to any of the things that I mentioned. And I'm going to pray, but what I'm going to encourage you to do is actually pray for yourself. Call out to the Lord. Speak to him about what's on your heart. What's on your mind. What you feel like he's saying to you today. He hears and he wants to help you. So I'm going to pray, but where you are, if you feel like you need to bow, do go for it and then begin to pray for yourself as I lead us in prayer. And then when the band lead us in a time of worship, I'm going to encourage you to sing this as a response onto the Lord. Something of appreciating His goodness and His great service in love unto you. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your precious Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you served us in a way in such a way that you gave us your best. You gave us your son. And Jesus, we thank you for coming obediently, in love, in service. And we thank you, Lord God, that you came and you served us in such a way that you gave your life on the cross for us. You laid down your life for us. You paid the price for our mess-ups, our mistakes, our rebellion against you. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone today that may need to take that step and respond and say, Lord, I welcome you. I welcome your finished work to save me and cleanse me completely and change my eternal destiny 
I pray for any of those individuals that are in that place that you would help them to take that step. Help them to respond to what you've done for them. The finished work of salvation. I pray also for those that have responded to you already but need to come again today and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for where I've walked in the way of the world. I'm sorry for where I've taken my eyes off you. But I come to you today, King Jesus, and I ask you to clean me again. Wash me, sanctify me, purify me, make me more like you. Do a work in me. Holy Spirit, come now, fill me again. And thirdly, I believe some of us are in a place where they need to ask the Lord to come and help them to love as he loved, to give as he gave, or as he gave, sorry. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help these individuals to allow you to change them from the inside out, to allow you to do a sanctifying work in them, to indeed be your instruments, be your vessels, be your light, be your kingdom bringers, empower them with your Holy Spirit to serve in love to love as you called them to we thank you we bless you Jesus and we give you all the praise in your mighty name we pray Amen Amen 